Welcome to EndoSummit Live, the podcast. If you have endometriosis, treat endometriosis, or love and support someone with endometriosis, then this is the place to be. The following season stems from our wildly popular live webinar series. The series sits in full on YouTube. While the tech may be rough in this podcast, the education will surely change the narrative for endometriosis. Please welcome our co-host, Dr. Andrea Vidali, an endometriosis surgeon and reproductive immunologist, and Dr. Sally Sorrell, a pelvic physical therapist and person with endometriosis. Our first episode is Adhesions and Endometriosis, featuring Dr. John DeLumba from Denton, Texas, Dr. Jessica Apoku Anane from California, and Dr. Patrick Young from St. Louis University in St. Louis, Missouri. Good evening, Facebook crowd. We are live for the Endometriosis Summit live this evening. And tonight is Adhesions Night. We welcome our Adhesions team for the Endometriosis Summit. And we also welcome a brand new Endometriosis Summit faculty member that I am so excited about. Dr. Jessica Apoku-Anane, can you please introduce yourself to everyone? Because we can't wait for you to meet our Endometriosis Summit crowd. Hello. Hi. Um, so I'm Jessica Apoku-Anane. I am at the University of California, San Francisco, UCSF. I am the director of our, our multidisciplinary endometriosis center and director of our minimally invasive gynecology and urogynecology program. Um, I've been doing this for now, like uh, I did a fellowship in minimally invasive gynecology in about five years and been out in practice on my own for five years. And most of my practice about that now is endometriosis. Yes. And um, Dr. Opoku Anane will be joining our Endometriosis Summit town meeting as our painful sex expert. Um, but tonight we're talking adhesions. Dr. Dolumba is the king of adhesions. Do you want to introduce yourself? This year you're not coming to us from a bar, so we're excited. <laughs> that was a little embarrassing because I had forgotten about the meeting. Well, I'm Dr. John Dolumba, and I practice down in Denton, Texas. Um, I didn't do a fellowship because there were no such things in, in laparoscopy or, or, or anything other than oncology when I went through training. So I've been doing this for a long time, though. Um, uh, I do have a special interest in, in, in adhesions because I think adhesions are almost worse than endometriosis because they sort of almost go hand in hand because adhesions, sadly, are normal and endometriosis is abnormal. But, so we're dealing with two horrible diseases and, um, but yeah, I, um, it, it's a frustrating problem, but certainly we keep trying and trying and, and eventually we'll find a solution to it. Awesome. Welcome. Welcome also to one half of the NOMO endo team, mm -hmm. Dr. Patrick Young. Dr. Patrick Young is going to join our endometriosis summit town meeting and his other half who is not here yet. I actually wonder if he is, I'll check. 
um, is going to also join what's called endo summit surgery this year. But go ahead, Dr. Patrick Young, can you introduce yourself? Yes, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. I'm missing my partner here, who is Dr. Eugenio Colon, who's the other half of team hashtag Nomo Endo. Anyway, I am the director of the Center for Endometriosis at St. Louis University. I also direct the Restorative Fertility Clinic. So it's a way to help patients get pregnant without IVF and by trying to treat the underlying issues like endometriosis and like preventing adhesions, both of which are very important when talking about trying to optimize the anatomy for fertility. So this is a very important topic, very near and dear to my heart. I did do a um, fellowship in minimally invasive gynecologic surgery at the University of Louisville. Paya Pasek was my mentor there. I'm grateful to him. And uh, I always say we're all in this together to patients. You know, my wife and I, we tried to get pregnant and start a family from day one. After about a year, she said, maybe I have endo. She had painful periods her whole life. I said, no way. Turns out she had bad endo, had that cut out, but also had a lot of issues with adhesions. So I've learned a lot through her and through our experience. And uh, she feels great now. And we've had recurring fertility. So, you know, really try to pay that forward and, and, uh, and pay forward what we've learned through her as well. Right, wonderful, welcome, welcome. And Dr. Andrea Vidali is my Endometriosis Summit co-host. Dr. Vidali, can you give a quick introduction to yourself really quick though? Very, very quick. Um, I'm a reproductive surgeon, I'm a reproductive endocrinologist, and I'm also a reproductive immunologist. So I try to bring it all together and uh, excited to be here tonight. Excellent. So Dr. Vandali and I cheat a little bit. We get the backgrounds that we're designing for you for the Endometriosis Summit this year. I remind you that our pre-sale pass is on sale until Wednesday morning on theendometriosissummit.com. And if you want to buy individual days, that starts Wednesday. So let's get to it. Uh, let's start. Dr. Delumba, who has, wait, we'll go to someone else. He's eating lasagna. No, 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 Doctor, okay. <laughs> okay, Dr. Delumba, what is, let's start with something easy. What is an adhesion and why is it normal for them to form? Well, the, the instant somebody is injured, whether it's outside their body, inside their body, whether it's a cut, whether it's a burn, whether it's a scrape, whether it's from an infection, healing starts and, and sadly it takes all the way out to six months to complete but the primary healing all starts in the first week and a half but the, the we talk about adhesions we talk about scar tissue we talk about fibrosis and those all three things are in essence the normal normal healing process of the body and and you know trying to tell the body to not heal is very difficult because i've had patients say what can i do I'm like, well, don't heal you don't heal, then you're not, but, but everybody has to heal. It's the problem is when things heal, the, the, you can, it could be it, the surface is fibrotic. There could be scarring or adhesions where things are stuck together. Like in the movie Dumb and Dumber or Christmas Story, when they put their tongue on the pole and it sticks, that is like a concept of an adhesion or a band. So when those organs are stuck, it, it can be quite painful. And so what, 
causes some people to have painful adhesions and some people to not have painful adhesions. And do we have an answer for that? Uh, does anyone on the panel want to want to give a shot at that question? Patrick? Well, you know, endometriosis is where the cells which line the uterus and are shed during the period are found outside the uterus. It starts off as surface implants. It's these cells in the wrong place. But how do these surface implants, which aren't deep enough to be in the nerves, or without distorting the anatomy, like distorting the tubes and ovaries, cause pain or cause infertility is a great question. We do not fully understand that. In a similar way, adhesions, which are bands of tissue that adhere to structures together, sometimes they're very painful and the patient will say, you know, I can feel tugging, I can feel this pulling. And you cut that band down, you separate those tissues and they say they feel better. Other patients, you know, we talk about a frozen pelvis. Everything is just stuck. All the tubes and ovaries and organs and bowel are all stuck and they have no pain. So we don't fully understand uh, all that leads to pain or the, the appreciation of, of that the pain that the patient has of pain. Um, and with adhesions in particular, you know, sometimes they are painful, sometimes not. Um, but it's important to prevent adhesions for both pain and for fertility. You know, on the fertility side, if the tubes and the ovaries are stuck, then they're not going to work as well. So the tube, for example, is quite long. At the end of it are these finger-like projections. Every month, the egg is released into the pelvis, and the end of the tube or the fimbria the tube has to catch that egg with the end of the tube. I think, you know, we teach these uh, medical students and residents. I think there was a student who thought that there was a connection between the egg and the tube. There's not. The egg is just released from any side of that ovary. And then the tube has to go get it. And this happens really quite reproducibly. And the majority of the time, but the tube has to be free and have some length to be able to go and catch that egg from any side of the ovary. In fact, you can have one tube and one ovary on opposite sides and still get pregnant. So all that has to work and work well. And so preventing adhesions is important. Just like we say to treat endo is important for pain and for fertility. Maybe the why of how endo causes pain or causes infertility is less important. Same thing, it's, it is important to treat adhesions or prevent adhesions as best as possible for pain and fertility. Very important. So Dr. Apokuanane, when somebody comes to you, how do you do a workup or begin your plan as to whether or not um, their issue is being caused by adhesions or their issue is being caused by endometriosis? Yeah, I think that this can be really complicated because um, uh, most patients think that they have a whole lot of scar tissue because they're having severe pain. And as Dr. Young trying, um, mentioned that you can have very severe adhesions and still not have a lot of pain, or you can have no adhesions and have endometriosis and have tons of pain. Um, so I think usually I will start first with treating the underlying cause for the, the adhesions in the first place, the endometriosis. Um, so whether that is involves hormonal suppression or surgery, 
Um, we, the most important part is to treat the underlying things that's causing the inflammation that's then leading to the pain. Um, so I always start there. There are a subset of patients who, um, you know, I find that they can locate their pain to one specific place. Um, and also a lot of times we'll correlate it with a certain activity. When I'm eating, I can feel a significant pain in this one spot. Or when I move in this certain location, I can feel a certain amount of pain and something pulling in this spot. That gives me a little bit more inclination. Like, okay, maybe this is related to some scar tissue that can be removed and improve their pain. Um, but it's really hard to predict often which patients are going to have the severe scar tissue versus not, unless it's the most advanced stage disease that can be picked up on, on our imaging modalities. Uh, most of our patients get a, an MRI that's a protocol for endometriosis with thinner slides and certain contrasts to look for scar tissue in the pelvis. That's not really, that actually doesn't change much what we do surgically, but it's very good to help patient expectations about what to, what the risk are of surgery, what potential complications could happen, whether it's success, the likely success rate or the chance that the scar tissue is going to come back. And we discuss all of those things before going into surgery. And then we spend a significant amount of time during the surgery, just trying to prevent new, new scar tissue from coming back. Right. So, I mean, I, you have a very multi-integrative practice. I know, cause I've heard you lecture before. Um, and I can say like, I'm a pelvic physical therapist. And a lot of times people will come into my practicing and, and take their finger and say, it hurts here. And so to me, it's always really important to run a differential on pointing to one spot. Is it something that hurts after you're eating because maybe peristalsis is bothering you? Is it truly an adhesion or are you trained from the internet to believe it's an adhesion and it's really an upregulated nerve? Is there stuff that you do in your clinic to test out nerves or to test out anything like that, that um, patients should be aware as a a possibility of something that they can go through? Yeah, well, we do think we talk a lot about the type of pain that they're having. So burning, sharp pain, that's much more consistent with something that might be neuropathic as opposed to if somebody's having more of an achy or cramping pain, which sounds more visceral, like an organ type pain. Uh, we also have, again, a multidisciplinary center. So most of our patients before going for, re for surgery to break up their hesiolysis are often seeking a physical therapist Sometimes they're seeing um, our pain clinic to do certain types of nerve blocks to rule out that, that as being part of their pain. Um, and then we use the extra reserve going back for repeat surgery um, for people who have tried other modalities first to rule out that it, that is truly the source of their pain. So Dr. Vidali, how often do you agree to go in on a patient for adhesions only? Also, Dr. Vidali and I know each other really well, so he knows it's a... Well, I think we have to differentiate, you know, we started talking about adhesions, but I think to frame the discourse, we have to differentiate between adhesions related to the disease itself. Let's say somebody's never had surgery. So there's adhesions related to the condition of endometriosis, and then uh, other adhesions, post-operative adhesions, for instance. So... To frame the discourse, I would say, you know, we would have to separate the two because on from the adhesions caused by the disease, that's, in my mind, that's part of the disease, right? The disease has not been removed. Somebody has never had surgery. You go in and things are going to be stuck to each other. So those are adhesions due to inflammation. And uh, so that's one part of it. And the second part 
are postoperative adhesions, which are the adhesions which are caused by the surgery itself. And, uh, and those are whole, and we can talk a lot about those as well, because you know, how do you prevent them? And if they're there, is it worth intervening to cut them down? So I'd rather not answer your question, Sally, maybe answer it a little bit later, uh, but I'd like to hear about our panelists about, first of all, you know, uh, these post-surgical adhesions, do they happen to everybody? Why do they happen? What do you do pre to prevent it? And, uh, and then we'll see what to do about it once they happen. Can I, can I make one comment on that, uh, Dr. Vidali? Um, it's, we, we do forget that surgery and, and endometriosis are sources of adhesions, but there are other sources. Somebody can have an infection or even a normal process. Say somebody ovulates and there happens to be some blood with it. You've got a raw surface of an ovary, you've got some blood, you can get an adhesion without endometriosis, without having had surgery, or without having an infection. So we can't just say surgery and endometriosis are adhesions. No, there are other causes, a ruptured appendix, you know, diverticulitis. Yeah, sure, but I mean, I want to frame the discourse about what we're you know, dealing with here, uh, which is really, you know, the operations that we do, is it causing adhesions? Yes or no? And what do we do about it? Can we do something about it? And do these adhesions cause pain? I think these are three important questions that I think we need to address. But I still feel that we had, the, 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 the people that are listening, you know, I have patients come in and they think only endometriosis and only surgery cause adhesions. And that's not true. Adhesions can be any type of inflammation can cause it. Sure, definitely, definitely. So, so that, that I, I just wanted to bring that out because, you know, and there are patients and even doctors that think endometriosis and adhesions are the same thing. And they're not. They're one's a healing process. Another is a disease process. So I, I just want to say that, but your question was, are there, um, one of the things you asked was, does everybody have adhesions? No, uh, you know, I, I wish I knew why. Um, I know some doctors and I think Jessica and I were on a, a webinar with Dr. Um, um, Sonovo back in April and they say that they get 5% of adhesions. Well, I do second looks and, and I don't know about Patrick's data but I see about 75 to 80% of my patients have adhesions on a second look surgery where I go back in within about five days. So um, it's not everybody. And I wish I knew who would or the, what patients would not get adhesions because then I could not do a second surgery on them. So Can you just tell, I think we assume every, because we all know each other so well that we, that everybody mm -hmm. knows what the second look surgery is. Can you explain what you're doing okay. and why you're doing it? Well, for one, with laparoscopy, second looks have been around since I've been in medicine, which is a very long time. When laparoscopy was in its infancy, I mean, infancy, we had a probe, that's about it. Um, but infertility doctors started doing it because they would look back in. Gynae oncologists would look in to see how well chemotherapy had, had worked. General surgeons do second look surgeries where they go back in. It's all sort of based on the timing. When do you do it? Do you do it, you know, six months, you know, one month, one day? So based on some articles from, from the Scandinavian countries, there's some data that if you do surgery within three to seven days, if you wait till 10 days, it's, in my opinion, 
you're, you're wasting your time and the patient's time. Um, but three to seven days by interrupting the healing cascade from, you know, first injury all the way out to the cascade completes, then, then and, you and you separate any adhesions that have formed or reformed from the previous surgery where you've cut, um, that's where I see the data. And if you separate that, some third look studies were done um, and, and about 70% don't form or reform after the second look, but 30% still do. It's not perfect. I wish it was, but it, it gives some patients that have formed adhesions a, a potential chance of not having um, those adhesions reform. Plus that, in my opinion, that's a better time to put a barrier in because then you know where the adhesions have formed. So I hope that helps. Well, actually it brings up something great. How many use, um, show of hands, how many of our surgeons use any kind of barriers? And Dr. Young, I know we're gonna have a special barrier discussion at the summit. You don't, we don't have to get into that here. We're gonna save that for ticket buyers, but how many use barriers? Well, yes, but before we get into that, could I just make a couple of comments? Yes, yeah. go ahead. I'm sorry, before we talk about this question that Dr. Vidali had about what can be done about adhesions, including barriers, just to lay some groundwork. So three things I'd like to say. One is that um, adhesions can always happen after surgery, but we do think that some people are more prone than others to adhesions. So there are some studies that have shown that a risk factor for adhesions is having previous adhesions. So if you go in and things are stuck after a previous surgery, that patient is gonna be at risk for adhesions again. To me, saying previous adhesions is a risk for future adhesions is the same thing as saying some people are just at risk for adhesions. So I think that's important to note. To note. So again, in my own story, you know, my wife, so the surgeon who did her surgery um, recorded the video for me, so I got to see it. And all of her, my wife's tissues were all kind of red and inflammatory. And uh, you know that's kind of the setup for adhesion. So my wife actually had several surgeries for endo to cut it out, which is very important, but the other half is adhesions. And she actually had more surgeries for adhesions than the endo part. So she just was really you know, inflammatory, I called her, and that <laughs> went over like a lead balloon, but just really prone to adhesions. And some people are just like that. The second thing I would say is, Adhesions is really a secondary outcome. Okay, let me, what do I mean by that? So before I did OBGYN, I did family practice. And in family practice, we talked about poems, patient outcomes, evidence that matters. So we would talk about trying to find the outcome that matters to the patient. And usually we're talking about either pain or fertility. As an analogy, and I hope this is not getting too much in the weeds, but we talk a lot about these days of AMH. AMH is a blood test that we do to look for ovarian reserve, which is kind of like trying to measure the age of your eggs. We know that age matters. This is like trying to measure the age of your eggs. It's actually more precise to say it's really a measure of, or a predictor of hyperstimulation. Dr. Vidali could speak to this for IVF. But, but what matters to the patient, even though the AMH can drop sometimes if you cut out the cyst wall, what matters to the patient in terms of natural fertility is are they getting pregnant? And I have to remind patients that sometimes. So the same thing with adhesions. You know, it, it's hard for us to say what is the rate of finding adhesions because we don't look 
for most patients. We don't want to have to go look for most patients for adhesions. What matters to the patient really, and the reason why we're treating the endo and preventing the adhesions is to get pregnant. And that's actually much easier to measure or a much more important outcome and easier to measure for the patient because you can just ask them, did you get pregnant or not? And, and actually this is a huge gap in our data, which I find really kind of appalling and or just out, uh, astounding that we have very few studies that actually look at, if any, an adhesion prevention strategy and pregnancy as the outcome. We often look at these second look adhesion scores or how many adhesions are there at second look as opposed to really asking, is the patient having pain still or getting pregnant? Um, I had a third thing. Oh, the third thing that Dr. Uh, Dulembo was saying, I think is very important is that we think from animal studies that if we're going to make an intervention in adhesions, the time to do it is early. We think from animal studies that adhesions form in the first week. So if that is true, that is the window to try to do something to prevent adhesions. So just to lay some groundwork there. Uh, I'd like to, actually, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, doctor. I'd like to make a comment about that too. I think um, some of us do not do second look surgeries because as I think both of them are saying the, the, the quickest window is within that first week after surgery, the best windows in that first week after surgery. But we don't necessarily know what the significance of breaking up that scar tissue is for future pain or fertility. So for those of us who do not do second looks, we rarely see our patients coming back. And the few patients that do come back and get a second surgery, very few of them have significant scar tissue. So that either means that our other patients, maybe they are developing scar tissue, but it's not causing pain or it's not causing fertility, or that that early scar tissue doesn't necessarily form into dense scar tissue that's going to cause problems with pain or fertility in the future. So there is a bit of, there is a rationale for why some people choose to do a second look and some people do not choose to do a second look. You made a comment that, that I... You need to explain it to me a little bit better, please. Um, you said significant adhesions and you said dense. I'm sorry, but even even fine adhesions could potentially cause pain because, you know, if, if you can even get bowel that can loop through there. And, and remember, 60% of bowel obstructions from adhesions. And, no, and I, But I, what I said is that I don't know the significance of those adhesions. So if a patient doesn't come back with, with pain or fertility, which is usually the reason why we do surgery in the first place, even if it's dense scar tissue, like our stage four patients, endometriosis patients that still are able to get pregnant or still, or do not have pain, it may not be significant. And so I, I agree with focusing on the outcome for the patient which is their pain or their fertility, not necessarily on focusing on the scar tissue because there may not, putting someone through multiple, multiple surgeries to get rid of that scar tissue, if it's not causing pain or fertility, can cause other issues, right? Every time we do a surgery, risk the risk of there being nerve changes and nerve pain. And just in our multidisciplinary practice, we've seen other things develop for multiple repeat surgeries. So I just encourage pain to think about more the outcome than the actual scar tissue itself. Well, I do zero infertility, so I'm only interested in the pain side. And also adhesions, if they're attached to a certain area, can contribute to, to nerve damage also or nerve involvement. So definitely, so, that's, that's um, yeah, I, I don't like to even hear the word infertility. So I get, I'm getting hives every time you guys say that. 
<laughs> You're in the wrong crowd, I think, now that we own we we own Endo Summit Fertility, too. <laughs> Dr. V- Dr. Vidali, um, how it's that's my how often do you see um Dr. Vidali's a reproductive immunologist for people that don't know. Um, and I was wondering how often when somebody has like a lot of immunological factors affecting their fertility, how often do you operate on those patients and they have that hot red body that, or insides that may develop the adhesions? Is there any correlation? I have to say, um, one of the things that we do see, and, and sometimes we do intervene in, in patients who, uh, in individuals who don't have any, uh, clinical sign, any pain sign of endometriosis, right? They only have a clinical sign, which is uh, infertility in this case. But when we look at the immunological profile, we do see some signs that we know are to be associated with uh, endometriosis. And you know that was part of my lecture at the Endometriosis Summit. Uh, and uh, the one thing that it's interesting, and, and all of you colleagues, uh, you probably have seen that, you look into the pelvis and you see Minimal endometriosis, not a lot, but then you see uh, signs like a, an inflammatory patina on the uterus with those filmy adhesions that are on the back of the uterus and, and a little bit elsewhere in the pelvis. So like overall inflammation with mild filmy adhesive disease, uh, clearly an inflammatory process, but not related to the actual amount of endometriosis. And this is a big clinical dilemma for me because honestly, still as of today, I don't have a clear explanation of as of why we have that incredible reaction, tissue reaction in the peritoneum in absence of extensive visible endometriosis. Um, of course, we do an, an extended excision, peritonectomy. Nevertheless, it's still a dilemma to me how, what's going on there. It's still a question. I don't know if the doctors would like to comment. Well, I, I will. Um, one, I, I think one of the reasons, whether it's important or not on the filmy adhesions, things like that, it, genetics play a huge role. Um, I, I want to share this with some of the people listening. Met, some of my patients are on here and they, they are, some of them already know this. Um, a classmate of mine won a Nobel Prize a year um, in 2019 in medicine. And his, his discovery was HIF-1, hypoxia-inducing factor one. And some of, when I started looking into some of the um, uh, things associated with it, um, it triggered a memory from 1991 when I was actually doing obstetrics. Um, and, and I called out to Loma Linda for a potential complication. One of my patients uh, with her pregnancy was having, they were doing fetal surgery. And you guys probably already know this, but the, the, the people listening might not. If you operate on a fetus before 24 weeks, they're born without a scar. After 24 weeks and they operate on a fetus, they're born with a scar and nobody could figure it out. And because of my classmates discovery, the HIF-1, hypoxia inducing factor one, I, I, I looked at it and then Dr. Um, he's up in Michigan, uh, Dr. Diamond, he did a study with pigs where he denuded the inside of the, all the peritoneum from a pig. And then genetically at the time turned on HIF-1 in the pig and the pig, when they went back in, and we know we use it pigs because they make a lot of scars, adhesions and fibrosis. And the peritoneum had no fibrosis, no head adhesions and had no um, scar tissue with HIF-1 turned on. 
Think of a salamander. You pull the, t the, the tail off and a normal tail grows back. So I wrote to my classmate in an email and said, hey, maybe the fetus, the 24 weeks, some parts of it are, are hypoxic. And, and he said, you're spot on about the no healing, or I'm sorry, the no scarring it before 24 weeks. Think about it. The skin before 24 weeks on a fetus, there's no capillaries. There's no blood flow. So if there's no blood flow, it's hypoxic. You cut it, and HIF-1 is not turned on. Think of the notochord when it's developing. That's one of the first things to develop. Is there any, any blood flow there? No. How about the heart developing? Why is the heart, when it's damaged as an adult, a problem when it's injured, like a heart attack? Because it scars. But a fetus's heart develops when there's no blood flow. So, I mean, you could look at the brain. You could look at almost any organ. There's very little blood flow. And when you injure it as a fetus, it, it seems to develop normally. But when you do it as an, when there's oxygen, there, it, it scars. That's what our genetics do when HIF-1 turns off. So genetics play a huge role. And hopefully in the future, there may be some things down the road that will prevent adhesions more than what we're talking about, barriers, surgery, anything. And you can just turn these things on. So, so again, do they play, is it important now with, with immunology? Yes, all that's important. But so is genetics on who makes adhesions and who doesn't. I have a question for Dr. Opoku. Um, uh, Jessica, uh, sometimes I talk to uh, our colleagues, reproductive endocrinologists, and they say, well, be careful when you do these operations. You should take as, as little tissue as you can because of the concern for adhesions. On the, other, on the flip side, we know that if you don't take enough area, you're going to leave endometriosis behind. So we're stuck in this dilemma. Uh, what is your position? Do you uh, do you support radical sort of, let's call it radical or extensive uh, excision of endometriosis or you, or you think that we should be more conservative in our excisions? Uh, so I wrote a review paper and looked at all the data on this and I do believe in full surgical excision, especially for the very first surgery, which is the most important in preventing the patient from coming back and needing repeat surgery. Um, I do think that, um, but surgical technique, technique is really important. So um, if you are doing a huge extensive surgery, but you're bleeding the whole time, leaving the place very not um, with lots of inflamed bleeding tissue at the end of the surgery, there, that patient's gonna have a, large, a lot of scar tissue. And so I am very, I'm balancing that the whole time. I, I do think that it makes sense to get all of the endometriosis out that you can possibly, um, except for in cases of like fertility where you might leave the uterus behind, even though you know there's some ad adenomyosis or, you know, if there's like a tiny little cyst inside the ovary doing damage to the ovary is going to be more beneficial than it is um, helpful. But, you know, I, I think there's good enough data that surgical excision works. Um, I think it's also just looking at the rates of recurrence for 50% of people recurring within five years. I don't see 50% of people recurring within five years. And so some of the people that trained me and actually Patrick, we saw him do Full surgical, full surgical excision. That's what we trained to do. And it seems to work better than leaving behind disease. So I do believe in full surgical excision. I just, I also believe in trying to minimize the number of surgeries that a patient is having. So balancing that to those risk of adhesions and the getting all the endometriosis out. I absolutely agree. I mean, I think they're, abs they're two separate issues. I don't think anybody would argue necessarily that 
that if you have deeper disease or widespread surface disease even, that it is better to treat it by cutting the entire thing out around the whole patch or under the deep disease down to normal tissue. But they would say, well, that's gonna lead to adhesions. Well, treat the disease, get it all out, and then take that next step and prevent adhesions. Those are two separate steps. And, and, and leaving disease behind for the sake of trying to minimize adhesions doesn't necessarily make sense, especially you know, in the first surgery, give it a try, cut it all out, try to prevent adhesions and go from there. And I will I, say I would, that, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. Um, well, go ahead and finish your thought. I was gonna say that about right now, about 50% 50 of, 50 of my practice is for our REI group, our fertility doctors and fertility doctors out in the community most of those patients are getting repeat images over and over and over and over again. And we, we know what their fertility outcomes look like. So I also am very confident in full surgical excision with doing that we have really good fertility rates in very complex patients. We don't see a lot of our patients coming back in excruciating pain. So I believe in it because um, our outcomes seem to be better than what's published in the literature. And the only thing that I can think of us doing is one full surgical excision. And the second is our multidisciplinary approach to care. One thing I would like to add is that, though, that um, in my experience, reproductive, and look, I am a reproductive endocrinologist, but one thing that I observe is that reproductive endocrinologists, more often than not, when the patients are there doing cycles, all their focus is on counting the follicles, looking how big the, <coughs> excuse me, the ovaries are, very little attention to small details. And these ultrasounds are often very quick. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry, guys, dry throat. And, uh, you know, they miss so many things. And it's really strange because you would think they would look at very details, smaller details, but it doesn't happen. They're just doing these quick scans to measure follicles. And they miss, I've seen recently, like, miss clear evidence of adenomyosis, adhesions, endometrioma, small ones also. It's just like, it's kind of crazy, but it's a fact. Oh, look who's here. Hey. We, no we have no. a we we definitely have team MIGS fellowship here. <laughs> we have a lot of the I, team I, is complete. Hello, welcome. Do you want to just um quick, Doctor um, Eugenio Colon, you're muted. <clears throat> no, what? I apologize for that. Oh, Got it. it's nice to see you. Uh, likewise, do you want to just likewise. quickly introduce yourself? Hi, I am uh, Dr. J.D. Eugenio, uh, preferably Dr. J, and um, I'm just one part, one half of Team Nomo Endo from St. Louis, Missouri. Mm -hmm. Well, we're talking adhesions tonight, and I was just about to ask if there's anything um, outside of surgery that um, we recommend for patients to sort of help encourage them have less inflammatory systems. Dr. Apokuanane, do you recommend anything to patients? I do. I want to be clear though, what has evidence and what doesn't have evidence. So, well, you know, I think there's certain things that are low risk and seem to seem to help patients. So anti-inflammatory diets, I usually recommend often. We use a lot of our physical therapy team as well to kind of optimize the care. And then most of our patients are involved in some form of integrated medicine because we have a very big integrated medicine center that do things like dietary changes, pelvic um, yoga, acupuncture, 
lots of things that there's not clear data, but there's tons of patients saying that they are receiving improvement, re, uh, receiving benefit from those programs. Um, I think with endometriosis, it's very hard because we don't have great data for most things. <laughs> and so we include a lot of things um, that seem to work and there's a little bit of early evidence um, that, that makes these things beneficial. Right, so I think it's really important in terms of a physical therapist that we um, are open that physical therapy, first of all, there is some study done on um, rats with adhesions that if you're doing visceral manipulation on them within the first 14 days, you can break an adhesion. But in terms of the rest of it, a physical therapist is not going to break or remove your adhesions, even though you think in your head that more pain is better because during therapy because they're breaking your adhesions. What they're actually doing is lengthening the tissue around your adhesions so that maybe in its presence, you can um, feel a little uh, better. Dr. Vidali, um, when we talk about people who have systems that are hot and red, are there things that you advise patients to do from that inflammatory standpoint? Well, one thing we didn't really talk much about is that um, we, we sometimes attribute, uh, the f in the case, for example, of, an, of fertility, from a fertility perspective, we attribute the fail to conceive in due to adhesions. Sometimes it's, a, it's really pure inflammation. It's the inflammatory process and those activated macrophages in the pelvis that are actually uh, creating an inflammatory environment where you get poor egg quality as well as failed implantation and miscarriages. So really um, you have to look at things from a more, I, I agree with you that we have to look at things more from a systemic perspective. So, you know, sometimes diet can help uh, but I, I definitely believe that uh, ultimately, ultimately, removing the endometriosis is the, probably the most important part. Uh, whether or not we can, we can correct uh, the overall inflammatory milieu long-term, I'm not sure we can. We can do a short-term, right? We can give steroids to people. We can, we can suppress people's, Im people's immunity for a temporary time. But the big challenges today, I think, for us is uh, how do we correct these problems long-term for people who are suffering from pain and this constant inflammation? How do we do that medically? It's a big dilemma. I don't know the answer yet. We if have I can just add to that. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Um, you know, this whole topic of inflammation, I think, is really important because, again, how do these surface implants of endometriosis, which is how it starts, without distorting the tubes and ovaries, cause infertility is a great question. We do not fully understand that but the association clearly exists. If you have endo, your chance of getting pregnant is lower and surgery or cutting out the endo, like Dr. Vidali said, will help fertility rates. We know that. Now, we believe an important link is inflammation. So again, back to the diet, the endometriosis diet, as it's recommended or talked about, is, is trying to be an anti-inflammatory diet or trying to avoid things thought to be inflammatory. So just to talk about that briefly for those who are not aware, it's like a paleo diet. It's a trying to avoid no gluten, no dairy, no processed sugars. Now, the elimination strategy, so there is a test actually out there by a company. It's a saliva test where you can actually measure what you're allergic or intolerant to or what you need to avoid. But I called the company once about a for a patient who had a, an issue affording it. And the person from the company told me 
you know you can just avoid one major group at a time see if you feel better if you feel better add it back if you feel worse again that is the group to avoid so for example my wife is not following the full endo diet but she tries to be gluten free because when she eats gluten her whole body aches and she feels tired other patients have told me gluten is fine for me but dairy when i eat dairy that's no bueno so you can figure out as a patient what you need to avoid and your body will tell you i think really i think women really know their bodies that that is helping reduce inflammation in addition we do have our own slew care diet so our dietary services did a full extensive literature search and came up with their own diet they do talk about the elimination strategy secondarily as i just described but they talk about the diet as a food first diet so there's links to it on our website but they want to talk first about things that you can take in proactively to reduce inflammation, like omega-3 fish oil, for example. So I think those things to reduce inflammation, I don't think replace surgery or replace preventing adhesions, but are an important part to help fertility and to help reduce that risk of adhesions. Right. I wonder, you know, we started the conversation on barriers and tools. We didn't really get to finish it because, of course, we have so much to talk about, which I love. But I wonder, <laughs> um, beginning with you, Dr. Oboku Anane, are there um, barriers that you use and are there tools that make it easier to be more precise during excision and hopefully prevent adhe adhesions during uh, yeah, so I mean, I think I'm sure somebody has said this already, but your surgical technique is very important. So making sure that you handle tissue appropriately, a gentle with the right tools that don't cause too much tissue injury, making sure that there's um, the patient's not having too much bleeding and that's very dry at the end of the procedure are really helpful. I do use um, adhesion barriers. Most of the time I'm using um, Interseed, which is one of the if you just look at the evidence, it's one of the few things that has a little bit of evidence for the barrier methods. It's just a, a little film that's placed between tissue that stays there for a while, dissolves, um, and tries to prevent things from sticking to each other. Um, there are some patients who request other things like plasma-rich protein or other things that um, are kind of right now more experimental. I think the data will come and we sometimes will use that on patient requests. Um, the other thing that has a little bit of evidence is like ovarian pexy. So in particular for some of our fertility patients where scar tissue around the ovaries is important. I usually will reserve that for somebody who's already had the ovary scar down already. Um, but those are usually the techniques that I use. What is um, uh, plasma rich um, therapy for those of us, for those of our viewers that don't um, know? And by the way, I just checked Facebook. We're out to about 60,000 this evening. So you guys are the dream oh, that, that team. That is awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Can I make Congrats a little comment? Can I make a little comment? Wait, wait. I want, her, I want Dr. Opoku to tell us all about the platelet-rich plasma first. Yeah. Um, sorry. So you take the patient's own platelets and you um, spread it over the tissues that are... Who's got the kids screaming in the background, guys? Can you... Can you write it down? He's at a bar that I was at last year. 
Oh, is that you? Is that you, Jessica? Sorry. I think so. Sorry, I was in my I car, apologize. but then I was like completely black. So I went back yeah. to the area with the kids. We're multitasking tonight. It'll be fine. <laughs> I, I will mute myself in just one last thing to say. Um, so it's just you concentrate the patient's own platelets and you put it over the tissues that are inflamed. And it's a way to try to prevent healing between the tissue. Um, I think there's some early evidence that it may have some benefit, but I'm not sure that the evidence proves that it is um, it can prevent adhesions. Cool. And how many, um, Dr. Vidali, you wanted to say something before? Yeah, I'd like to say, you know, not to be, you know, uh, critical of Interseed, but you, honestly, the data of Interseed is pretty weak. Uh, I feel that actually there was a recent, last year, there were two Cochrane database reviews on adhesion barriers. We have a whole thing on the end of, on the actual conference. I'm, I'm just going to say that as far as barriers, they all are pretty bad and in my opinion, useless, but that's just my opinion, okay? And gels may do a little bit better, although even there, the data is weak and it's all industry-sponsored data. So in my opinion, uh, you know, based on this data, you know, there's going to be a lot to be discussed at the, at the, at the end of the So be there at the summit because all this data will be discussed in great detail and, uh, and will be debated in great detail. Sorry, Sally. Actually, to be fair, I 100% agree. And so I picked the one that's the cheapest. <laughs> I actually don't believe in any of the adhesion barriers. I try to convince patients out of the plasma-rich protein, or I forgot the other one. Um, I will do it on patient request, but all of them have no evidence, No, have no really I don't think we have great evidence for most of the, the Thank barriers. Thank you, Jessica. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tom's going to talk on adhesion. Can I say something for a second? Yeah. Data, and it's yeah, very that's... exciting. So it's going to be great. Make sure you make All right. that All right. Do talk. Dr. DeLumba and then well, Dr. J. Okay. I just wanted to ask Patrick, because you used to do put Gore-Tex in and go back in a week and take it out. Oh. We can't talk about that till March. Oh, so okay. I, I will present our data on Gore-Tex in March. So make sure you make that March talk on adhesions. I think it's very exciting. I think it's it's really just a pilot study, but I think the data that we have is very promising. It has been submitted for publication. Hopefully I can tell you that it has been published or accepted by the time we have the talk in March, but- um, But you did it years ago also, correct? It wasn't part of the study. Well, we've been doing it for some time and, and this is, oh, okay. you know, we have an ongoing database. So this is collected okay. data. Over some years now, yes, and um, we asked about pregnancy, not looking at second look adhesion scores. We asked about the outcome that matters to patients, <laughs> and uh, we'll get more patient. into it. But very interestingly, it seemed like the Gore-Tex helped those with a history of infertility to get pregnant. It did not help patients who did not have a history of infertility, which I find very interesting. That might mean that it's helping that the patients with infertility are the ones who are prone to adhesions. And if you have a barrier that can help prevent adhesions, that's why it's helping pregnancy. Don't give so it I away. Think it's very interesting data. Stay tuned. Don't give it right. away. Don't give we'll, it away. We'll take a look. Dr. J, you wanted to say something about adhesion barriers and tools and and all that yeah. stuff on in terms so, of preventing adhesion. Um, like Jessica said, like I do for Pexies. I'm actually doing them more often recently. So we tend to go back to our patients sometimes for six or nine or, or nine months or a year later, depending on what the con 
what the concern is. And when we do, like the date, I mean, there's obviously there's not a lot of data on it, but I notice a significant difference when I pexy the ovary, especially when the pe when the ovary is actually stuck on top of the ureter or had a uh, that pelvic side was completely plastered with that ovary. But more importantly, like the use of amniofix, I find that like it's just like a night and day type of difference. I don't have a lot of data on it, but like what I see when I put the amniofix on top of the ureter, there's almost nothing sticking to that. It looks like it was like not, it wasn't even touched, and to me that is surprising, because sometimes I use it on one side and not the other, uh, just to like because it's worse on one side. So because I want to kind of justify the cost of it, if I'm putting it on one side and not the other, depending on how bad it is, and the side that I put it on looks significantly different. The Amniofix. I, um, I've been using it for eight years. Amniofix. It is. Um, it is. But it is. It is beyond yeah. me. Yeah, that it is, is incredible. It's cost prohibitive to many people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and that's it. That's kind of my two cents. Well, it's good. So on Facebook, we have a couple of the same comments that people go to doctors. Um, and I'm going to let everybody answer this question. People go to doctors and say they have adhesion-related pain. And the doctor says, I'm not cutting it. It just goes back anyway. What in, in the generalized sense, um, what is your opinion about when a doctor says that? And what is your opinion about how to approach that patient? We'll start with you, Dr. DeLumba. Well, I, I can't disagree with that concept or with that term that, that if you have surgery, you might get more. But I look at it not from the fertility side, from the pain side. If a patient's life is interfered with, what do you do? I mean, they've tried physical therapy. They've tried to change their diet. They've had surgery. The endometriosis is gone. They're on pain medication, but they're still not functioning. I can't turn those patients away and say, sorry, you can't have more surgery. So that's why I've developed my, you know, plan. I wish it again, wish it was perfect of using accuracy and precision. When you do surgery, do the best job that you can cutting the adhesions, cutting out any disease or endometriosis that might potentially be there. The second is I use heated and humidified carbon dioxide. And I think pretty much everybody on this panel probably do, does, does. I, I didn't do well in English, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. The next is um, I, I use a barrier when possible. And I've tried everything, stitching the ovaries up, you know, again, PRP, you know, you name it, I've tried it because I, again, I've been in this for a long time. The last thing is the second look, because if they've had multiple surgeries or their adhesions are the main problem, I have to do something. I can't just say, I cut them, you're fine, see you later. No, I give, I feel by doing all that, I give the patient the best opportunity, doesn't mean it will, best opportunity to be symptom or disease free. Agree. You still haven't answered the question though, John. You know, what Sally is asking is somebody comes to you, she tells you, I have pain. It's, I think it's because of the adhesions. What do you do? That's the question. Oh, well, then I, I give them options. Okay. It's a, it's a two to three hour visit, but um, I'll only, shorten it. I'll, only shorten it. No, I'll try and shorten it. So, um, so what I do is I give options. I go through, you know, any types of infections, look at SIBO, uh, Lyme's disease, you name it. 
pelvic floor dysfunction? Have they had PT? If not, maybe they need that. Then I, I talk about the bladder with, with interstitial cystitis. I look at talk about the bowel. The, you know, have they had a colonoscopy, endoscopy? Look for diseases there. Talk about phantom pain and the nerves, and then talk about okay, it. Okay, okay. So she has adhesions, though. Okay. The so then I go through, you know, what hormonal you manipulation is not going to help. Imaging can kind of give me an idea what's going surgery, on. Yes and or no. Surgery, yes or no. I give them the option of what to do. Pain management. If you need pain medication, we'll try and do that. Surgery, yes or no for adhesions? That's if, the they want, if they opt for surgery, I will do it in a heartbeat. Patrick. It depends. So just like with <laughs> endometriosis. All right, moving on. No, go ahead, doc. Just like with endometriosis, I always tell patients, I don't, like if somebody comes in with five previous surgeries for endo, somebody might say, why would your sixth surgery be any different? To me, it's not about the number of surgeries somebody's had. It's what was done. How was the endo treated? Sure, sure. But we're talking about adhesions here. Is there a chance of here. some you know, endo being left there, behind? There, there may be adhesions be. there. You don't think there's any endometriosis. There may be adhesions there. Surgery. Same thing with adhesions. Same thing with adhesions. It, it depends where the adhesions are, how mm. extensive they are, and maybe what has been tried for adhesion prevention in the past. And do I have a chance of like doing something different that maybe hasn't been tried or the area of adhesion is in a particular place that maybe we could try to prevent adhesions in that place if that's potentially the area causing the pain. Jessica, so that, that is important. That Jessica, if, if everything is stuffed, you can't wrap everything in Gore-Tex, yeah. for example. Jessica, adhesion, surgery, yes or no? Pure adhesion. No more endo left, just adhesion. If I think I treated every other source of pain, yes. Surgery, yes? Yes. But that's rare that I think I've treated every other source of pain. That's my caveat. Hello? <laughs> I mean, I, I often see patients run the surgery, it's adhesions, it's adhesions, it's adhesions, um, and there's sometimes a problem. Uh, Dr. Verdali, can you just expand a little bit? I mean, my perspective is that Hello? in the great majority of cases, pure adhesions uh, are not associated with increased pain. And uh, so, you know, I have, I have to be really convinced that the adhesion is truly a source of a problem. Uh, for me, I, I cannot in total honesty say that uh, I'm doing a service to a patient to go after a little adhesion here or there. I just do not, I can't in total honesty after 30 years of doing this uh, work uh, and having worked before with very, very established experts in the field of adhesions and there's the adhesion society and, and, and many other, so very extensive experience. I have, in my experience, uh, I cannot uh, support automatic surgery for adhesions. Um, and, uh, you know, this is based on, I would say, a very extensive experience on this. But by the way, general surgeons will never do surgery for adhesions, ever, with a few exceptions, you know, because, because they know. Uh, that's I mean, I like to say That's what they're taught. There's a difference between what they know and what they're taught. I'd like to say that I agree with that. So my caveat in saying 
only if I think I haven't treated every other source of pain, that it's rare that that situation happens. So it happens like maybe once a year. Um, most of the time I find when patients come in for surgery for adhesions, there's some other cause of pain that we're just missing. Sure, I mean, of course, my we're all, we're all generalizing, right? So every case has to be looked within the context of its of, of its specifics. But you know, I would say automatically, I wouldn't have a, a sort of a knee jerk reaction to say, oh, adhesion surgery. That's that's just my perspective, my sort of professional opinion. Yeah. All that's, right. That's, Go ahead, Dr. I think that's Jay. a great. I think that's a great point. Maybe a great way to end things. But I, I you really have to individualize the care. Well, that's but that's obvious. But, well, I would yeah. say though, like, the, but you're starting from a certain perspective, and I would say that that's the my perspective. And somebody else may say, no, I will do surgery on anybody who comes with a, the smallest adhesion. You know, I have actually watched some of these adhesion doctors go in there and do like you look in there's like a, a tiny band this big, and they'd be like snip, and that's a surgery. Like the idea that that would actually change things to me is you know unimaginable. I, so, I actually think in that case, that tiny little snip isn't what's doing it. I think the TEP block that shut down the nervous system for the patient right. and gave them a chance to almost have their system reboot, that's what did it. Awesome. But yet, they in the patient in their head, and this is going to be so many people are going to be annoyed, the patient in their head, a lot of times the endometriosis person is programmed surgery, 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 surgery. And so that's in some ways, they feel better from surgery. But there are a lot of steps to deal with things that have absolutely nothing to do with surgery. Yeah. That, that's that's actually really good. Really good that you said that. We do that very often. Like, because we have a, 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 a large group of patients in the same way, we have things that we do after surgery, uh, evaluation, treatments, PT, the, the whole everything. And if the patient has done these things and, and her pain is persistent or it's changed, and who can quantifiably identify a source of pain, then we would consider going back to the operating room. Uh, but obviously the patient has to understand that there may be the possibility that we may not find something that is the cause of her pain. So, so we do talk about morbidity and mortality, the risk of going back to surgery. So as long as the patients are understanding the risk and we are comfortable taking on that risk, then, then sometimes I do uh, uh, tend to please my patient a little bit more and, and just take them back, but uh, but not just not as a knee jerk reaction. So there has to be some type of evaluation before before we take her back. Yeah. All right. So we just um, scuffed the surface of adhesions this evening, um, and I think we had a very lively lively discussion. Uh, to, uh, let's see, Dr. Opoku Anane, what are you looking forward to the to Endo Summit 2021? What are you most excited about? I love the debates. I love hearing multiple different opinions. And if somebody can change my mind, that's the, the most incredible thing in the world. I also just love being around, I don't know, virtually is a little harder, but being around patients and different providers from different specialties, because we are all a little tunnel vision. And being able to hear the perspective from other disciplines is often often very helpful. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Dr. J, you were added last night as faculty to Endo Summit Surgery, our first year presenting Endo Summit Surgery. What are you looking for? You're probably looking forward to hearing what you're doing this year. But what are you looking forward to the most about Endo Summit 2021? I'm looking forward to looking at different surgical techniques 
just seeing the other experts and what do they do? How do they approach disease? How do they actually, what are the things that they do that, that, that is of value? So, and, and learning from that and incorporate it into my own practice as well, right? So I learned a lot, just like last year, when we were, were there at the panelists and you guys had people that do hernias and that do nerve blocks and your anesthesiologist talking about, the, your pain doctors talking about their blocks. That's stuff that when we got back home, we started looking for those, those resources that you guys have over there. Because I do believe that the more resources we present to patients, the better the care is in general. Right, it'll be awesome. And actually, we just confirmed for Endo Summit surgery, we're going to have an activity called um, Point Counterpoint Game Set Match Endometriosis. And we're going to have four different greats in endometriosis debate origins and theories of endometriosis. It's going to be, I mean, these are people you can only imagine who I invited. So it'll be awesome. Dr. Um, Young, what are you looking forward to most about Endo Summit 2021? Thank you for asking. Thank you for the chance to give my answer. I am looking forward to having a great discussion in a platform, in a forum that includes the patients and without big pharma. I got to oh, tell you, Sally <laughs> and Dr. Vidali, what you did with this initiative to have this forum, this platform without the big pharma influence is so huge and so... Um, just novel, it's amazing. And I commend you again and again. It's fantastic. Yes, awesome. And so important. Dr. Jolumba, you will be, you are our first um, invite ever, and it will be your third year. What do you, and you won't be able to say whole Vulcan. So, what are you looking forward to the most about Endo Summit 2021? Well, actually, I, I look forward to having being able to do a presentation versus being on a panel where we had to fight and scratch and claw. Oh, I like that to, to get our words in there, and it was like it was the last one was really hard. I, I, I it really really was, and, but you know I like it. But I, I think the first one was the best. But as we get more and more people on each panel, it you know then it's it's hard with the limited time that we have to get to get viewpoints out. Excellent. And Dr. Vidali, what, since you're the king of the day, what are you, Dr. Vidali, meanwhile, is presenting on laparoscopic sclerotherapy for endometriomas. For the first time, someone will be presenting that as a U.S. doctor. It's very cool. But Dr. Vidali, what are you looking um, forward to about Endo Summit 2021? Uh, unfiltered opinions. I, I love unfiltered opinions. I love opinions that are not colored by uh, just like what Pat just said earlier, sponsorships or upsetting sponsor, upsetting pharmaceutical companies. I love unfiltered opinions that, you know, really come from the depth of clinical knowledge of uh, the doctors and, and, and physical therapists and all of our speakers. I love unfiltered opinions. Yeah, I'm looking forward. We took on a lot. We have a, lab, a live lab for doctors in Orlando. Um, that'll happen March 4th. Then the 5th, we're doing endo summit surgery to show everyone and debate with everyone about surgical techniques. We have endo summit workshop on March 6th and then our big town meeting on March 7th. And we figured out a way, even in the virtual setting, to put up our big endometriosis summit phone booth and make sure everybody is able to gather around and get that same feel they were having when we were in person in Hoboken. 
So if you need tickets, that's theendometriosissummit.com. Next week, um, given hoping that I'm still here for that, but next week is going to be one of my all-time favorite weeks, especially me as the hernia whisperer. We are doing a groin and leg pain night with Dr. Mossbrooker, always a favorite, Dr. Zolan, and then Maurice Chung is joining us again because he like owns the Endometriosis Summit Lives right now, and we're going to talk all about um, the abdominal nerves and the pelvic nerves and why what you think may be one pain isn't. We're going to talk about the SI joint. We're going to have a great time talking leg and groin pain next week. I want to thank everyone for joining us, the Nomo Endo team, who can be reached at nomoendo.com. Dr. Opoku Anane, how can somebody reach you? Oh, you're muted. You're muted. We can't hear you. We can't hear you. Sorry. We have the uh, website, the ucsfendometriosis.org, um, or they can just contact UCSF OBGYN. Awesome. Thank you so much. You survived your first Endo Summit Live. I'm so excited that you took time away from your own life to join us here tonight. Dr. DeLumba, how can someone reach you? They can't. No, no. <laughs> just, just you call my office at 940-387-6248 and, 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 and go from there. And if you missed this, we do put the live, um, we do put a recorded up on our YouTube. So you'll have to watch the whole thing to get the phone number again. Dr. Vidali, anything to add before we sign off? Well, I'd like to thank all the attendees and thank you, Sally, as usual, you're the best. Amazing, amazing. All Thanks, right, guys. take care. We'll see you next Monday and don't forget to get your Endo Summit ticket. Take care. Thank you everyone. Thanks, Sally, great job. Thanks.